very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Great, thanks, Bimba. Well, good morning, Reality Church. It's great to be back with you. If we haven't met before, as Bimba said, uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors down at the Globe Church. Um, We started a very similar time to you guys, actually, and it's just been a real blessing to see how God has been at work in different parts of the city through different churches and different ministries. Um, We also partnered with Weber Street as well, so it's great to hear about that. And so it's great to be in partnership um, in in different ways. Uh, And... And thank you so much for having me uh, back here. It's a real honor to be able to preach God's word to you this morning. Um, So as we come to his word, let me pray, uh, and then we'll we'll jump straight in. Let's pray together. Father, we've been singing this morning uh, in worship to you of the great things that you've done. We've been singing in worship to to you for our Lord Savior, the Lord Savior, Jesus Christ who came, who died, who was buried, who rose again, who we'll see again face to face. Father, we ask that you would speak to us now by your word, by the power of your spirit, to really grasp hold of your kingdom all the more clearly and to really see what that means for us today as we live in this city that you've called us to. Father, speak to us through this wonderful letter to the Ephesian church. We pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, it'd be great to, to keep the passage open so you can kind of follow along and see, see where we're going with this um, and to make sure, you know, it's great to be able to read the, the word together. Um, so it's really key. So do keep it open. Uh, and, and as I understand it, you've been for the last few months studying the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's a great letter. Um, and I think last week, Bijan started in chapter 5. Uh, and I think originally he was going to do 1 to 14, and then he changed his mind last minute and said, I'm just going to do 1 to 2. And he called me and said, just carry on doing what you're doing. So it's going to be a slightly weird order. So I'm, I'm doing verses 15 to 20. Um, so look forward to him kind of reversing it next week when he's back. But last week, I think you saw something about us um, being called to imitate God in the way we walk, in the way we live in this world to walk in the way of love. I think that was a big thing that we saw last week. And what we're doing this week and next week is sort of grounding that. Okay, so what does that look like practically to imitate God and walk with him, to live um, according to him in our lives? And next week, you're gonna see Bijan kind of unpacking this image, this big image of walking in light or darkness. There's a contrast there. This week, the section is all about being wise or unwise. Are we walking in wisdom or are we walking in folly? That's what we're looking at today. And it's really simple. What Paul's simply saying here in this part of the letter is a very simple thing. He, com- he commands us to walk as those who are wise, not as foolish. It's as simple as that. It's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? Being wise is a trait that actually when I, when I look around, I don't think many people outside the church really talk about being wise that much. 
You look at leadership books and blogs, and they'll say things like, you need integrity, you can listen well, teamwork, decision-making, loads of things listed. But very few of them talk about wisdom. And the reason I think is because wisdom actually undergirds all of those traits, all of those qualities. Wisdom is all about us taking that knowledge, that experience, the listening skills, whatever we've got, to apply them in the appropriate way for every situation in our lives. And for us as followers of Jesus, wisdom really matters because how we live matters. For Christians, it's not just about what we believe, but it's about how that affects how we walk in this world. That's actually the the way the book of Ephesians is set out. Chapters one to three is all about the theology of who God is. Remember who who God is. Remember who you are in light light of God. And then chapters four to six is all about, okay, so then how are you going to walk? How are you going to live? And wisdom is one of those key guides for us here. Which is why if you look at verse 15, Paul starts with, look, be very careful then how you live, not as wise, but not as unwise, but as wise. Because wisdom will help us to walk carefully. Right, who loves, who loves Lego? Anyone love Lego? Yes, lots of people. It doesn't matter what age you are, you love Lego. I love Lego. Except when my kids play it. They're four and a half and two and a half, and there's a 10-week old. He doesn't play Lego yet. But even this morning, they were playing it, Lego, and they just, do you know what they do? They scatter it all over the ground. So there I am walking through. I've got my cup of coffee, and what am I doing? It's a maze. You've got to tread carefully. Have you ever stepped on Lego? Man, it hurts. It really hurts. I've got to watch carefully where I'm stepping, and wisdom tells me you have got to be careful where you tread in this world. They might look harmless to you, but man, when you step on one of, the, one of those things, it's going to hurt. Paul tells us, step carefully in wisdom, not folly. See, why does this matter? And what does walking in wisdom look like? That's what Paul's going to unpack. Ask anyone in the street, ask anyone in this room, do you want to be seen as wise? Do you want to be wise? Pretty sure everybody will say, yeah, of course I do. The Bible has lots of wisdom. Wisdom literature, we, you know, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, those sorts of things. You can go there, but Paul here in this passage is quite specific. He gives us three very specific, distinct contrasts that really sharpen our thinking on what does walking in wisdom look like. And that's what I'm just going to do in the next few minutes. Just, just look at those contrasts, the three of them. And I sort of frame them as, look, Paul says, don't do this. This is foolishness. This is folly. Instead, this is what wise people understand. This is what they do. That's the way I'm going to frame it, okay? Everyone with me? Right, so here's the first contrast. Don't waste time, that's foolish, because the days are evil. That's what wise people understand. This is sort of like the why. Why, why does wisdom matter? Why do we need to walk in wisdom? Look at verse 16. He says, Make, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. Has anyone seen the movie In Time? Anyone come across it? Oh, quite a few nods. Yeah, it's quite a good movie. Justin Timberlake, didn't know he could act. But he's, he's right. Um, but it's a really interesting movie. It's a movie where the, the currency of the world is time. So people have these clocks that are ticking down all the time. When you work, you get paid your salary, which is, which is time. And you pay for things with time. But when your time runs out, your life is over. It's quite an interesting movie. And the whole point of it is to show you the value of time. Our culture, people understand this. Lots of There are loads of books and blogs on don't waste time. You read any sort of self-help book out there and it would be like, one of the big things would be don't procrastinate, don't waste time, make the most of every opportunity. 
In the business world, you see this all the time. Anyone you know, at work, have you ever been in a standing meeting? Have you heard about this? They, they, they recommend you stand and have meetings now to stop wasting time. Because you get tired and you go, okay, let's just move on. Let's just get it over and done with. Because the world knows that time is a very expensive commodity. Once you spend it, you can't get it back. So everyone around us is saying, use your time well. So the key question then is, okay, we get that, but what's the reason for not wasting time? Why, what do you think most people in the world would say? They'd say something like, time is money. Or otherwise you won't progress in your life and, and up the social ladder. Or you'll hear things like YOLO if that's still around. You know, you only live once, you'll miss out on all these opportunities in life. All these Instagrammable things that you could do. Did you, see, no, did you notice Paul's reason here? Look again at verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Hang on a sec. Is that what you and I would have said? Probably not. What does he mean? See, when you hear the word evil, what pops in your head? Naturally, we think of things that we think are really, really bad, that are very, very clearly evil, like slavery, historically or modern-day slavery. That's terrible. That's evil. Exploitation, wars that we prayed for just a moment ago, deceit, abuse, scams, those are blatantly evil. Everyone agree? And God would say, yeah, of course, those are evil things. That's the way we tend to think. But Paul wants to redefine evil as God defines it because our view of evil is too small in comparison to God's. Paul wants us to see the world like God sees the world. That's what it means to imitate God. That's what we saw last week. And the word for evil, that the way the Bible uses it, is speaking of things that are not of God, that are not of his kingdom, and that are opposed to his kingdom. Now, we often think, that, you know, in church terms, it's, it's called sin. That's the way we think about it. Let's try and unpack that a bit. We just throw that term around sometimes. What does it mean? What does that look like? Well, here's one way to think about it. It's those things in the world that causes us to stand against God and what God has clearly commanded. This is what we sometimes call a transgression. For example, we'll see later on in the reading, you probably heard, Paul says, do not get drunk on wine. That's a command. God says, do not steal, do not lie in the Ten Commandments. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not get angry, do not judge, as he unpacks the Ten Commandments. See, God has made it clear that there are those things, these are the sorts of things that are evil. And sometimes we glaze over them. One author called Jerry Bridges, calls, he's got a book called Respectable Sins. The sins that we think, oh, they're not so bad, but according to God's standards, are evil because they dishonor God. And actually, if you think about them, things like stealing and lying and getting angry and, not, and judging people, what do they do? They impact relationship with others. So that's one way to think about it. Here's another way to think about it to think about what it means to, to be an evil. There are those things that in and of themselves aren't that bad, but they so very easily steal our hearts away from God. Things that we like lean into worship, to, that shape our lives and our thinking, that is what is often called idolatry. As Tim Keller famously put, he said, look, there are things that are good in life, but idolatry means those good things become God things. You know, classically, we think of things like work and money and relationships, but even things that look harmless. Think about like if you watch a lot of Netflix or if you're a bit of a foodie like me, I love food, I love both those things. But they can become ways of seeking idolatry of comfort. 
See, Lego bricks, they are deceiving. They might seem small, but when you catch one, they can really hurt, particularly the ones that are really small. They look so harmless. You know the, the, the people, the Lego people and the heads, the little heads, and sometimes they come off. They're tiny. They look so harmless. Just this little head there. You step on it. Man, it, it's the worst one. Sometimes in this world, it's the most harmless looking things that can do the most damage. Because we're so alert to the big, obvious things. Oh yeah, of course, we steer clear of that. But those smaller things can steal away our hearts from God. And so we can sit in either unconfessed sin and transgression or being subject to effusive idols that slowly drive a wedge in our hearts away from God. And that's what Paul means by these evil days. In Ephesians 2, he spoke about this world still. It's redeemed by Jesus for sure. It's being restored by Christ, but the evil one is still at work, the prince of darkness. Sin and idolatry still remain around us. Those are the times, the evil days that we live in today. And there is a constant pull on our hearts away from God. And so when Paul says, make the most of every opportunity, you could translate that as redeem your time. Redeem your life from being drawn to those things of this world, that evil things that consume us, that pull us away from God. Instead, redeem your time. Make the most of every opportunity to imitate and walk with God, to walk in the light, to walk in wisdom. That is one of the results of what Jesus did for us when he redeemed us at the cross. He doesn't, he doesn't only redeem our lives from sin once and for all at the cross, but as a resurrected living king, he's saying, look, Come and live with me. Live under my lordship and redeem your time. Away from those things that draw you away from God, back to me, back to the Father. That is why Paul says, be careful. Because the days are evil. And this ties to the second thing that I want us to see. It's the flow of his logic. Okay, so if that is what is happening, how do we then go redeem our time? What does that look like? What does being wise with our time look like? So here's the second thing. Don't be foolish, that's foolishness, but understand God's will. That's what wise people do. Look at verse 17. He says, therefore, that's his link. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do we typically, when you think about gaining wisdom, what do we think? Most people think it's the older, the wiser. I'm starting to get a few gray hairs. People take it that I'm becoming a bit wiser. My family might beg to differ at times. But you think about Lord of the Rings. Who's the wise leader? It's Gandalf the Grey. He's not called Gandalf the, br the brunette, right? It doesn't make sense. It, but that, that image makes sense. Gandalf the Grey, and then he becomes Gandalf the White. And it's, oh, yeah. Wisdom, the leader. See, people often think you'll just gain wisdom as you go through life. The key thing is, though, it really depends on who you're walking with in your life. Who is your source? Who's your guide of wisdom? That is a key thing. And for the followers of Jesus, those who know God, we can access the very source of all wisdom directly. You know, I've met plenty of people who seem, they, they, who are much wiser than they really should be. When I look at them and think, oh, you shouldn't, you're, I think you're a bit too young, but they are wise beyond their years. I've met other people who seem like they should be wise, but do some really immature, stupid things because their source of wisdom is different. And that's why Paul says in verse 17, look, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Wisdom comes from understanding God's will. 
walking day by day in line with God's will, the Father's will. To not be foolish, to make the use, make best use of every time that we have is to understand God's will. Now I need to, you to work a little bit harder this morning. So if you think about the book of Ephesians, do you, do you remember when you heard about God's will? It's probably right back at the start in Ephesians chapter one. Let me read you a couple of verses just to, to jog your memory. Chapter one, verse five, it said this, in love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Then it goes on in verse nine. God, with all wisdom, there we go, and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Here's, here's the key thing, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And then he goes on, in him, we people were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be before the praise of his glory. Right, let me just summarize that. That's a lot of stuff. Here's what we know about God's will from the book of Ephesians. God's will has been set in motion even before the creation of this world. And it's this, that all things in heaven and on earth would be united under Jesus, under the Son of God. That's the ultimate purpose of everything, to say Jesus Christ is King and Lord of all things. That's his will. But did you see how we as human beings fit into this great plan of God? He planned for us through Christ Jesus to be adopted into sonship. In other words, to be called heirs of God's kingdom. We're not just servants. We're not just guests and come, oh, come into our house and then leave when, when you're done. But he calls us sons and heirs. On the same standing as the Son of God, in Hebrews it says, we are placed higher than the angels. That is where we are. And God did that to display his glory to the universe. His manifold wisdom is displayed through his church, through his gathered people. All the spiritual realms look at that going, praise God. And he uses people like us for that. That is his will. Let me just say something on the side, just for a moment. If you're somebody sitting here who's really low on confidence at the moment, or perhaps that's your temperament, you tend to be like, oh man, this, is, this sucks, I'm really bad at this, I'm really bad at this. Let the will of God marinate with you for a second. Forget all the self-help books out there who say, oh, try and find it within yourself and just improve yourself. Listen to God say, I chose you. You are a picture of, the, of my glory to the watching world, to the universe. That is who God is. For those of us who perhaps struggle with pride, that's, I'm, I tend to be like this. I need to remember, we need to remember, God doesn't choose us because of the things we've done or of what we achieve. God calls us because he is God and he loves his children. That is God's will. And the power of walking with God's will is seen so clearly in the life of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what? You look through Jesus' life, through the gospels, there is wisdom personified. The number of times Jesus shows wisdom, just think about those examples. You, the, the teachers of the Lord trying to catch him out. Oh, what about this Jesus? What about this Jesus? And every time he shows wisdom, he speaks a parable. He rebukes them. He encourages them. How, how does he do that? Because he is so clear on his father's will. And we see that so clearly at the Garden of Gethsemane as he's staring the agony of the cross in the face. 
He's about to take the weight of the sins of the world upon his shoulders, the righteous, just wrath of God placed on him instead of us. He knows the pain he's about to endure. He's about to be forsaken by his father. And so he prays, Father, please let this cup pass from me. But then what does he pray? Let not, your, let not my will, but yours be done. See, he was able to go to the cross and endure that suffering because he knew his father's will so clearly. He knew his father's will that he was going to bring everything under the headship of Christ. And he knew his father's will that that would start with people like you and I. That is why Jesus went to the cross. That is the ultimate glory that we will see. That's the ultimate hope that we have. And because of what Jesus did, that means that for those who trust in Christ today, we have access to know God as our Father. That means we too can know the Father's will like Jesus did. So when we open Scripture and we read it, as the Holy Spirit reveals God's Word to us, as we gain more understanding of His Word, we start to see God's will all the more clearly. This is why it's so important to marinate and, and feed on God's word. Each time we gather here on a Sunday, as we speak the truth to one another, as you hear it preached, as we sing it to one another, the Spirit guides us and prompts us to see God's will ever more clearly every Sunday, every time you meet as community groups, every time you have a one-to-one -one conversation with someone. To remind one another, we are God's children. Let's live that way. Let's walk in the way of love, the way of light, the way of wisdom as God calls us. That is how God's glory is displayed as he brings things under Christ, starting with us. Okay, so let's think practically for a second. What does that mean? What does that look like for our lives now, today? Two big things I want just to think about as we, as we apply this. The first thing is that the clear things are clear for Christians. Theologians call this the revealed will of God. Basically, we are called to make the most of every opportunity to redeem our time by living to see Jesus' kingdom made known and to call people to come under Christ's rule and headship. That is a clear thing that God says. Simply put, the days are evil. What that means is that there are lots of these mini kingdoms everywhere that try to steal away from Jesus' kingdom. But God's will is clear. It's been set in motion. We want to see Jesus' kingdom grow because everything is coming under Christ's rule. And we are called to be a part of that kingdom, to see that mission, to see the fruits of it as co-heirs with Christ. So it means that we seek to see Christ glorified in every aspect of our lives. It starts with our own hearts. We want to see Jesus' kingdom grow in our own hearts. It means that we will fight sin and idolatry. You're going to see more of that next week as, as, as Paul speaks of being children of light versus darkness. So it means that we'll fight sin. It means that we'll also grow in Christ-likeness, not only in our understanding of Scripture, but how it's applied Wisdom, when particularly when we're going through suffering and hard times, just like Jesus, as he faced fiery trials, he could stand clearly through that because he knew God's will. That is, where, that is what we do. Trusting in Christ, seeing God's will clearly, living in that hope of glory as a child of God. <clears throat> but it also means it's not only that we see the kingdom growing in our hearts, but you want to see his kingdom growing around us in this city and beyond. Yes, that means evangelism, the Great Commission. We've got to be telling people about Christ, about the gospel. But it also means that we need to redeem culture, care for the poor, be salt and light. That's what we heard last week. Walk the way of love. 
that brings about the impact, the reality and the fruits of God's kingdom that point people back to him. So that's, those are the clear things. It's really clear for us to understand. Look, that's our, that's our call as Christians. But the second thing is, uh, that I want to think about is wisdom from God, knowing God's will, understanding it, helps to guide our hearts in our other decisions that aren't as clear in the Bible. See, knowing God's will acts like a sieve. Do you, you know what a sieve is? When you put things through it, the stuff you don't need just goes, but the stuff you really need remains. It's like that with God's will. It's the sieve that catches the things we don't need to catch and lets go of the things that we don't need, but catches those things that we really do. It'll help us to discern, help us to make good decisions, wise decisions, that understand we don't want to be drawn to the evil days of the world, but we want to be drawn all the more to understanding God's will and living according to his kingdom. So let's think through an example. Okay, so what does that mean if we were, for example, accepting a new job? You could be going for a job as a teacher or a banker or starting your own business, I don't know, whatever it is. See, those things are actually neutral. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the question is, what is going on in your heart? Is that decision seeking Jesus' kingdom or my kingdom? Will taking that job help you to pray, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done? Or is it more time-consuming and sucking you away from God? See, will this job help you to walk the way of love, as we saw last week? To live a life of goodness, righteousness, and truth? Or will it fuel your idol for status, for reputation, for success, for wealth? Paul has told us, he's warned us, the days are evil. The days will try and steal away from our hearts to draw us away from the presence of God and his kingdom. Instead, we're called to walk in his way and his wisdom. This is a battle we've faced forever as human beings. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what happened there? Here were Adam and Eve, right? The first human beings. They're right in God's kingdom, under his rule, and where everything was what? What does it say? It was good, very good. But then they saw this fruit of the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of it. The temptation and desire was there to become their own gods, to have their own little kingdom. It actually says in verse three, sorry, in Genesis three, as they saw the fruit, it looked pleasing to the eye to gain wisdom. And so they try and sneak it in. They take a little bite. They try and set up their rival kingdom against God. And what actually happens? God banishes them from his kingdom. They are shamed. And ever since then, we see human being after human being, generation after generation, trying to build their own little kingdoms. And what happens when these people start, these kingdoms start fighting one another? Adam and Eve's first children were Cain and Abel. And they are remembered for what? The first murder. And God has redeemed us back into his kingdom from that mess that we're in, where everything is so very good. That's where God has called us to. And he's called us to redeem that time from the evil days, to live according to his will that will make it so much easier to walk in wisdom, to make kingdom decisions much more clearly. And this can affect everything, even in the small, trivial things. As I was preparing this, I came across this article that spoke of the movie Schindler's List, based on the uh, Oscar Schindler. I, I'm, I might, I'm going to read this to you because I think it, it really helped me to think about this. Just the clarity in helping decision-making. 
At the end of Schindler's list, as the title character, as Schindler flees his home after helping over a thousand Jews escape from Nazi death camps, the surviving Jews thank him for all the tireless labor and sacrifice he endured on their behalf. And his response is chilling. I could have got more out. I threw away so much money. He looks at his car, his watch, his possessions and asks, why did I keep that car? That was 10 more lives. This pen is gold, that's two more lives. See, Oscar Schindler didn't lament that he didn't watch more television or exercise more or keep boundaries on his emails. He regretted not making the best use of his time, not doing what he could do to save lives during the, his evil days. I'm not saying this to burden us with guilt, to say every time you turn on Netflix, you'll be like, oh, no. I don't want us to be taking that to drive ourselves to the ground, but it, it helps us to think, what is wise with the limited time that we have? What is wise with living for God's kingdom in these evil days that are around us? What more could I be doing and considering? God has called us to something we need to be doing as we walk in his will and walk in God's, God's wisdom, he's saying, look, how could you use your time better for the kingdom? Just think about that for a moment. How could you use your time, we use our time, to seek justice and righteousness in different areas in this city? Is there something you could be doing more at work or alongside work with other people? I heard about you guys being involved with Weber Street. We do that too at Globe Church. Is there something more we could be doing together or as churches, as individuals? Think about it in your own lives at the moment. Do you tend to lean a lot towards procrastination and self-care? Not saying that's a bad thing, but is it too much? Is there something else you could be doing with your time instead that is kingdom-focused? Could you just carve out some, a little thing in your schedule where you say, this day I'm going to go and talk to this neighbor or this person? What could you do collectively as a church, as Reality Church? Perhaps that's something you could pray for at your next prayer meeting or together after this service. Find someone, just sit down and say, hey, look, let's pray. What could we be doing together as a church? And as we walk in this way of wisdom, as we understand God's will, I just want to show you this last thing. Where does this lead us to? I'm going to this is a much shorter point. But here's the final contrast. So, so far we've seen what? Don't waste time because the days are evil. Then he said, what, what do you say? Um, don't be, don't be foolish, but understand God's will. Here's a, the third contrast. Do not get drunk on wine, verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So back in Ephesus, there was a lot of kind of group drinking going on for all sorts of wrong reasons, from worshiping idol gods to just like having a good time. And it's not much unlike scenes that we see in London today. Go to the weekend, Friday or Saturday night, you go to Box Park or Hoxton Square, not far from here. You see a lot of this stuff. And Paul says in verse 18, look, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, to recklessness. That is a life of foolishness. And drunkenness is one, perhaps one of the quickest and easiest ways to see foolishness in all generations and all cultures. At the center of this lifestyle is this God of wine who tempts and tantalizes only to lead you to a life of no control Many a drunken night where people lose control of their bodies and their minds who can't remember what went on the night before that leads to a life of emptiness. Seems fun in the moment, but all you're left with is an empty bottle, a hollowness inside 
that you keep trying to fill with something else that leads to a life of regret. So many times I hear stories of people, things they wish they'd never done that they can't reverse. Now, I don't think this is a blanket, like never drink. I, but it does say, look, maybe have a glass, but watch out if you're starting to reach beyond for the bottle. And don't make excuses if you've got one of those massive glasses, right? <laughs> think, think reasonably, practically. Be careful when having a glass on occasion in case it becomes a few every night. Because that will lead you to recklessness, to regret and folly. Now, I get in, in a room this size, this may be a really sensitive area for some people who struggle with alcohol addiction. It's possible. And I want to acknowledge that and say, look, it's not easy. It's, it's hard. And that's why it's so important that we as a community look out for one another and use any means necessary to support one another. One another. But importantly, we need to listen to Paul. Because says, Paul says, no, 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 walk in wisdom. Live out wisdom by walking with God, by being filled with the Spirit. Just quickly to say, if you're filled with the Spirit, it's not like if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit comes and goes. The Spirit always lives in us. Once you're in Christ Jesus, Jesus promises that the Spirit will live in you. He doesn't come and go depending on how you feel. But it, and secondly, it means that we don't then go to the Spirit petrol station to get filled by the Holy Spirit every time. But there is something of our communion with God by the Spirit. The Bible tells us we can either grieve the Spirit with our lives, that's the way of foolishness, that's the way of drunkenness, or instead we encounter the work of the Spirit all the more in our lives. Through deep communion with God, understanding His will, that's the way of wisdom. That is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It comes back to grasping the will of God. Again, Ephesians 1, this is why it's so important. Ephesians, the book, Ephesians chapter 1 sets out so much of what this book talks about. And in Ephesians 1, it says, look, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantee to know and believe all that God's done, to understand his will. That is why Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Because as you're filled with the Spirit, you see God's will and you will live and walk that way of wisdom. And that leads to a completely different response to being drunk on wine. A life of wisdom is where the Spirit-filled life keeps God at the center of our lives and our hearts. Reminding us again and again, look, this is who God is. This is what he's done for you in Christ Jesus to redeem and restore us, who by his spirit now enables us to live a life of self-control of our bodies and minds. A spirit-filled life that leads us to worship, to live a life of fruitfulness, of joy, of wisdom, and not emptiness. That's displayed, as he says in verse 19, of, of a life full of songs, of psalms, of hymns, singing biblical truth to one another, writing music. Where with the God of wine, you're left with empty bottles. With the God of the universe, you are left full with life, with song and thanksgiving by the Spirit. This is the heart of our worship. Now we know worship is, is more than singing, but it's not less than that. Singing is a huge part of our expression of worship. It's great to be able to sing together at the start of this service. We love it. We enjoy it. But I pray that it wouldn't just be here when we gather here on a Sunday, but that as you leave here, in your day-to-day, you'll be singing. That you would sing to one another. Leave WhatsApp voice notes with singing. If you're not good at singing, just rap it. I don't know. <laughs> That's still music. It's good. But I pray that Reality Church would be a church that is constantly filled with the Spirit. 
that seeks his spirit, walks according to God's will in the way of wisdom, who continue to love to sing to one another. That loves to do verse 20. Look down, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ties us back to Ephesians 1 again. All that God has done, that is what we sing of. So let's do that as a church. Let's thank God for all he's done. Let's walk carefully in the way of wisdom. Let's understand God's will. Understand that these are evil days and let's live out this will as we lead another, one another to worship, to sing throughout our lives, not just here on a Sunday, but throughout our lives across this city. Amen. Let me lead us in a prayer. I'll invite the music team to, to come back up as we're going to respond with a few songs. As they come up, let me lead us in a prayer. Let me, let me give you a bit of space, perhaps in the quietness of your hearts, just to pray to the Lord to say, hey, look, God, I'd love to walk in this way of wisdom, and I'm not right now. Help me to see your will and understand it more. Help me to be spirit-filled. Help me to find joy and thankfulness. Let me give you some space to do that in the quietness of your hearts, and that will lead us in a prayer. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Father, pray that we as a church would walk in the way of wisdom. To know that these days are evil, that they steal our hearts away from you. Help us instead to seek your will, to understand your will, to understand that all you've done in Christ Jesus, to understand what you're calling us to live for your kingdom and to be kingdom shaped in everything that we do. Help us to make decisions that are in light of your kingdom. Help us to walk in light of your kingdom. Help us to serve in light of your kingdom. Help us to walk that way of wisdom so that we don't live in the emptiness of this world, chasing foolishness, but instead we are filled by the Spirit so that we can sing, so that we can praise you, so that we can worship you in thanksgiving and joyfulness, and so that the watching world can see us and seek that same joy, that Spirit-filled life that you have blessed us with and that you call this world to we know that you are uniting everything under Christ Jesus. Pray that you would continue to use us for that great glory, for that great mission of your will, we pray. In Jesus' name.